Welcome to selfdiscoverywisdom.com, formerly known as Self Discovery Media. On these podcasts, you're going to hear people who speak from the heart. They've taken the journey in life. Many things have happened to them, but they've changed it to happening for them. And in their strength, their courage, they've discovered their abilities and their wisdom, and they are now sharing it here with you. Do enjoy each show. We bring it to you with love and knowing that it's going to help you on your journey of life. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Building Your Business right here on selfdiscoverywisdom.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and all the way from down under in Australia is Leanne uh, Hardinge. And we're just talking about Hardinge pronunciation of names can always be very, very difficult. We're going to be talking about business today, kind of the mental health around it. Um, she has this frilly analogy, which we're going to be talking about. And I'm going to read you a little bit of what she sent me of how it all started, which is all around Tim. In 2000, while in Alice Springs, Central Australia, she cared for a five-year-old boy named Tim. He faced big emotion and challenges and often acted out due to his fears. One day at a desert park, he encountered a frill neck lizard. Its dynamic display meant to intimidate yet comically, uh, comically small made us laugh and inspiring the frilly analogy. This analogy became our secret code. It helped him understand the um, reinterpret the actions around him, leading to significant improvements in his behavior. No longer did he struggle with uh, bedwetting or emotional anxiety or uh, irritating thinking. He even stopped bullying his friend, learning to laugh at his own frilly moments. The approach um, aligns with the insights of the Australian neuroscientist, Professor Selina Barlett, who emphasizes the shift from blame to shame to empowerment through education. And by educating children and parents, we can confront our inner generational by anti-bullying, uh, providing tools to view such behaviors through different lens. So the Frilly analogy is not only transformed Tim's life, but it also has proven effective in resolving workplace dysfunctions around Australia and uh, Papua and New Guinea and over two decades. Her career has focused on addressing inappropriate behavior and bullying and showing that these are uh, the fetch can carry those issues into personal lives. The analogy has been proven tool in promoting emotional awareness and resilience and demonstrating that understanding humor and indeed changed behavior and meant broken trust. And being able to use an analogy that people can relate to is always so much easier for them to actually embrace and absorb than you kind of coming out directly talking about them. When it's an analogy of something else, it's something they can relate to. Hmm, yeah, I do a bit of that, or I get that. But when it's actually directed, you do that, defenses go up, right? So always having an analogy, I think, is something that can let people see something that you're trying to tell them without them feeling personally affronted by it. Welcome to the show, Han. Thank you very much. That's a lovely opening. And hello to everybody that will be listening. So the analogy, how, you know, how did that come about? We, you know, we're freely using that analogy, but is it because you saw it work in Tim that you thought this obviously is something that I can use in my business, in the workplace, um, drawing analogies and, and just being able to have people see things from a different perspective to understand what's going on in their lives? Uh, yes, and I well, I I think 
And the best way to explain, I am a bit of a storyteller. So sit back. (laughs) Grab your water, a coffee or wine, folks. Grab your water. (laughs) Uh, You know, Australians are renowned for telling yarns, not necessarily always letting the truth get in the way of a good story. So, and we certainly, certainly if you ask me the time, Sarah, I'll tell you how to build a watch. But so... (laughs) So therefore, I had to always throw back to analogies. And I could see the, the I had grown up with stories. I had uh, always related really well to stories. And I think, too, uh, we remember, and I've used this in work, we remember a story and then you can attach a trigger word to it mm. or a word and instantly that's that whole story and the analogy comes back to you. And so people, I'm sure in the audience, will over the years heard of things and immediately when I say the word fish, there was a very famous book about a market in America and attitude of stuff. And who moved my cheese was another one. And then you'll have stories in your family. You know what it's like at Christmas? I'm sure many of you, when you get together with family, they can say words that can trigger both negative and positive responses Mm -hmm. one can be you know a joke something funny you did and everyone gets hysterical and then another family member can mention a word which relates to a bad experience or something that really triggers some sad emotions or even aggression Mm -hmm. so it can go both both ways so the word frilly was an easy word uh, to be able to use you told the story of tim I was very close to Tim. Um, I knew his family really well. And I also knew the dynamics that he was in. Now, I'd already been telling stories and working with teams and in business anyway. But this was particularly a case where I knew in this instance, the little boy was in a situation where he was defenseless. He'd be, someone would be overpowering. He'd be living in this um, difficult home life. And he would freeze. He would immediately, when things got aggressive or things got loud and they're demanding, mm. and you will, maybe the audience will relate to this in work even or in your own family circumstances or in a relationship because it's it works across us as humans. Yes. Someone can trigger response in you where you can't react and or you react a different way that then sets them off. Mm-hmm. And in turn, when Tim was exposed to loud, aggressive behaviour that was demanding him to respond, his natural response was was he was frozen. He couldn't respond. And some of you may relate when you've got someone who is in that position of power over, you feel defenceless, but your whole body freezes. In other instances, people are uh, want to be aggressive, you know, the flight, fight or freeze mm-hmm. reaction. So when I we were having this fun day, he was really relaxed. He was talking openly. He asked me a question, um, which, which was, you know, which I'll share. I, I stagger because I think, oh, how do I explain this? Because this may be a trigger for people that are listening. But the, his, his openness and honesty, and he was so calm. He said to me, in all this fun, why does my dad say he loves mum, but he hits her? Mm. And then he says, and he, but he says he loves her. 
now oh my gosh yes anyone there in the audience is your heart dropping Reveal. yeah exactly yeah personal experience mm-hmm. or whether you can relate to a child in that situation yes. empathize mm-hmm. so you can't give him advice no like you know how the birds and bees work mum you don't give them all the detail yeah <laughs> you have to pitch it at a level that they can understand. And right. emotionally, my heart was just ripping out, thinking, oh, my gosh, imagine the generational impact of yes. what this is going, is going to have on him. And and he's a was a very intelligent, intuitive young boy ahead of his time because he'd had to, he, he used to step in and protect his mother. Hmm. So he was streetwise. And so I knew the answer couldn't be something that was too complicated. It couldn't be something that would be that he could some way he could relate to that would mean that he doesn't hate his father. Right. He doesn't demonize him mm. and he doesn't become resistant against it, but he has to learn it's not the right behavior. Right. So that in some way. Now I wasn't going to solve the world. I no. wasn't going to be able to do much, but the answer was really important because I don't know that he had many people he could safely ask that question to. Mm-hmm. And as your story alluded, hang in there, have a drink of water, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> what happened was is then in turn, we had just seen some frillies, which are frill neck lizards. Now, I don't know if any of you there know. I'm sure some of you may have seen the picture, but Google it, go on YouTube, put frilled neck lizard in and there's a particular video of a cameraman that actually is shown where he's I think he's an American but there's a couple there and he's interviewing and the the lizard as does the behavior we had been watching frillies we've been watching which we call them here in Australia we've been watching frillies it's stinking hot it's in the middle of Australia in the central desert not far from Uluru or um, Ayers Rock um, people may know it as and um so that we had been watching these frilled neck lizards and when they see each other, they have different behaviours. Now, of course, neuroscience says mm-hmm. primitive brain, dinosaur brain, all of that science. But what happens is, is that's just too deep. Mm-hmm. And so the frillies, when they came to, two of them saw each other, then one saw us and ran towards us. And I don't know if you've seen those videos, but they're quite formidable, but they're laughable because here's mm. this scrawny little tiny lizard its only defence is either hide in a tree, hypervigilant, looking off into the distance and thinking everyone's going to kill it. Oh. <laughs> and, and so it's over defensive. So it's a little tiny innocent mm-hmm. thing. And then if it's something comes near it, they're really clever. They'll manoeuvre around the back of the tree and put a tree in front of them and they'll sort of watch you and you don't even know they're there. And then the one that you see on the videos is they're on the ground where they feed. And if you surprise one, immediately... What he does is he puffs himself up, has this big frill, opens his mouth, and he does a hiss, and it's bright yellow inside, and he looks really scary. Well, one of those ran towards us. Now, it is very scary. He's trying to bluff. Yes. He's making out he's big. He wants you to go away. Now, we know in Australia, familiar with the lizard, is that when you stand your ground, it comes up to you, all big and scary mind you it's only this tall (laughs) him and I were laughing that this thing came towards us and was just you know trying its best to be a a huge dinosaur in its mind 
And then we just stood our ground. And then what the frilly does, as in human behaviour, the frilly then steps forward. If you hold your ground, it then knows it's gotten the bluff isn't working. So then it runs around, it turns around and runs like mad. And it's got a nickname Bicycle Lizard because its legs <laughs> turn around. So long story, I had to find something. We'd just seen the frillies and immediately it dawned on me, having worked in neuroscience and, and also worked with the brain and working with my own life experience, I used the analogy. I said, without him disliking his father but not approving the behaviour, mm. I said, hey, your dad's doing a frilly. Really inside, he's scared. And so that's why he sees everything in the distance as scary and he thinks that they're going to hurt him but he's a big tall man and he doesn't want people to know that he's afraid inside and then I went on to talk about and you know when he stands over you mm -hmm. really he's scared inside there's something it might make sense but you just got to understand that he's trying to scare you with mm -hmm. his size and then in turn he goes away if you just don't argue don't do anything he goes away and I, so I used that analogy. Now, I used it really simplistically. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I said, so he's doing a frilly. So when you next see him do that, you don't have to be scared. Just think of him like a little frilly, little frilly. <laughs> he's, he looks really scary, but he's actually scared inside himself. He's not behaving properly, but he doesn't realise how to behave properly. Mm -hmm. He's doing a frilly. He's a human thinking like a lizard and so then what happened was we would joke about it and he would see people and so he would then come back to me at different times when we'd see each other and our opening statement was I would say oh, how's your dad going and he'd say he was doing a frilly and what happened was is his anxiety went because he could understand the behavior yeah it was simplistic enough he'd seen the frilly and it was mm -hmm. later on, I never ever got the chance to explain to him about the connection of the uh, of the brain and the and human reaction and our own amygdala acting with a dinosaur brain in the same way. It's just a simple, frilly analogy. But what happened was it worked so well with Tim. Then I started to use it at work 20-odd years ago. In 2000, it sort of the story happened. And uh, I started to use it at work to help people who were battling. And so the frilly analogy became, um, in America, you might have different sides. We have a campaign here for mental health, which is called You Ask People, Are You Okay? It's a suicidal, you know, to try and get people when they're on the verge of committing suicide or got suicide ideation, we use an Are You Okay? And it's a, a quite a strengthy, a strong-based um, marketing campaign. The frilly, when I'm in an office and someone is working under a narcissist or somebody was um, really mentally unwell because of the treatment of other people, whether it be home life, whether it be work life, whether it be their own um, circumstances, to be able to say to them when you see them, you've told them the frilly story, they've laughed, they've looked on the YouTube and thought it's funny, to then just say to them, say, how's your frilly going? was a mental check and say, what reaction was I doing? Was I hiding? Was I avoiding? And there's a whole methodology that's developed with that now, the story. And I could just say, or they come up to me and we at the coffee machine, they say, my frilly's been up a bit, but I worked it out. Right. Or 
and it was able to empower people because there is so much publicity now about mental health. There's yes. so much publicity in the last 15 years about um, what you can do, neuroscience, there are different forms of therapy, whatever else, that sometimes when you are just coping, yeah. when you're in a really difficult situation and you talk to someone, you will shut off if someone starts talking, well, you need to think positive or you need to do this. That's, I know. that's sort of a stage further up. Yes. Right now, they're stuck in a really horrible situation and laughter yes. is the best medicine. I don't know if that's a Reader's Digest quote, but please, Reader's Digest will find me now because I've said their name. Um, so we have a joke in the family. You have to keep moving till eventually you can lose your Reader's Digest sub subscription. And I love Reader's Digest, but it's just a joke. Um, so anyway, that was a long story. Forgot what the question was. But... <laughs> how did Philly come about? Which you answered, and but but I can I can so see how it works because, um, you know, I I'm being one of those people that have been through the the narcissist and what a narcissist does, and they break you down, and it leads you to a point a, a place of constantly being on eggshells, constantly waiting for the next bereavement, feeling less than, or, and then leading to depression. And the last thing you should ever say to somebody that's in a depression is snap out of it or just yeah. think positive. There, when you're in depression and dark despair, which I know only too well, there is no reasoning behind it. There is no logic. There's no rhyme. There's nothing. that You could be the most intelligent person, as we have seen in the world, mm -hmm. uh, that you have dealt with depression and it's whether it's a chemical imbalance or whatever it is it just somebody's come in and pulled your guts out and there's mm -hmm. there's no rationalization about it and really it is what can we do to shift gears we have mm -hmm. to shift gears and pivot out of it and you know music is one that does for me if i really do need the help um, when I get overloaded or overwhelmed, I do have some pills I can go to, but mostly I try and manage it with music and being proactive in something I love to do. So it's really important that we find what it is that's going to get us out there. But humor is certainly one, because if we can, you know, kind of um, the person that's coming at you, or the frillying, you know, putting up with the frillies again, you know, and it, it, it diffuses the power they have over you, right? Yeah. What I used to say to my husband when I gained the courage to do so, take it up with your mirror. That's the only one that's interested. So, you know, you learn to kind of bring those little humorous things in because they become part of your defense where you're not engaging. Because what do they want? They want to rise out of you. Right. Why did he hit his mum? You know, his frustration, his demons inside of his, his little child inside of his wasn't getting his way. And so he has to hit someone to make him feel better. Right. And that it's always an expression of what's going on on the inside. And so if we can take away the villainous of it and let's let's not forget, there are a lot of people that are definitely villains. That's no, you know. I've got stories on on that from people that I've interviewed and it's, they were villains, absolutely. They took too much pleasure in it. But most yeah. people, it is a frustration or a lack of something inside of themselves that they end up taking it out on people they love with this yeah. delusional thing is, well, you love me anyway. Well, you can only push love so far before you push it out the door and you've got to take some responsibility of what's going on. But I think by diffusing it, through humor, through giving it a title, 
like frilling or whatever the case is, you're taking away the power they have over you, though therefore empowering yourself, you're sending off a different vibe to them, which they are unknowingly picking up and behavior starts to change. Yes. Yes, that's so true. And <laughs> definitely I don't believe this is the cure of every single solution. No, nope, it is a good one. Happened, yeah, what has happened is, is that um, I'm not convinced in all circumstances picking the bully out at a young age and mm. demonising them, punishing yes. them, yeah. telling them that, that that's not the right way, putting them in front of other kids, oh, he's a bully, Mm. All of those things actually backs the person up. Yes. And at a young age, it starts. Maybe it's modelling, maybe it's circumstances or themselves, their own defence. That's mm -hmm. what their, it's their defence to bluff what's going on. Um, but the, the ability to relate it to something that makes you laugh, yeah. I, I, it has worked so well in the field because mm -hmm. I'm dealing with very well-educated yes. leaders of large organisations, leaders of leaders, leaders of single business. Mm -hmm. You're a leader of yourself. Always. So, <laughs> so it, it's worked in the fact that the story comes up, which I talk about the, the, our Australian wizard without quite so much detail, what it does, and then I relate it to how it relates to those reactions at work. And a mm -hmm. tree can be symbolised by hiding behind a secretary, hiding behind layers of governance, hiding behind um, not going to the office, you'll do the coffee run, you'll do the lunch run, yeah. you'll do something else, anything at all to avoid it. Or, mm -hmm. yeah, or I'll do a lot more remote now, I won't come into the office because I don't have to face what's going on. Um, there is a whole lot of analogies within an office and even doing the frill. Look, a skilled narcissist or a skilled person, whether it's at home, whether it's your mates, whether it's somebody that's female or male here in Australia, um, whether it's your mates or whether it's at work, a skilled person who uses fear and standover can do a really, really sitting down. I mean, it's just mm. puffing your chest up yes. and putting your hands on your hips and expanding your chest and in a standing or raising your voice and waving your arms around, exaggerated yeah. motion so your mouth is open like yeah. a frilly. Yes. It's all of that is actually taking up space. And then with that, the the other analogy that the third bit is is if you stand your ground and don't aggravate, you just stand your ground, the frilly will know that the bluff hasn't worked and will right. run away. And they'll go to higher ground because that's their safety. In the analogy in an office setup, the higher ground is somebody that will I've got so many more years experience or I've got this authority or I'm a friend of the CEO or I'll go to the union or, mm. or I hold information and power over others in the team mm. and and I can get the pack yeah. to ostracise you. Exactly. You have to do me. Mm. And this is all subconscious. So that what the frilly does is the frilly is a comical story. When you see the video, I mean, there is a video there that I'd really encourage on video on YouTube, which which I, I just I have to send it to you, Sarah, because I just can't yes, but so I want to insert it into your show page actually, so people yeah, can yeah. see it for themselves. There's, yeah, there's two or three of them, but there's one in particular where the cameraman stepped back. Who was doing it? What a mistake! Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the frilly just took after the cameraman and he's six foot odd. He ended up tripping over, falling over, and then the, 
lilies on his chest and he's absolutely petrified. That's really his only middle. <laughs> right. You've seen Jurassic Park, right? It was those little ones with the with the things coming out, you know. <laughs> so it so this really is a funny way of you can meet people in the office and the and and you can say it and you don't you can meet them where they're really stressed. Right. And then they can correct themselves. And for the little boy, for Tim, he was able to see the behaviour and convert it to fear, not to justify it. Right. But he then in turn, it only took six months or so, he then in turn started to look at his own reactions and he had been bullying a friend of his who was much smaller. Yes. Because so it's, it's taught behavior, right? You know, you, you know, kids are sponges. They're going to absorb what's around them, as we do so, even as adults, really, don't we? That's exactly right. And that's what happens in an office. Yes. Or that's what happens in dynamics of teams and mm. whatever. You don't, if you I call can, it the pack mentality. <laughs> yes. And if you can recognize that the other person is actually a human mm -hmm. working on their reptilian dinosaur primitive brain it empowers you and in turn you can look to see well what am I doing that mm -hmm. is of similar and that awareness means that then the neuroscientist the mental health specialist I always refer to EAP and work with councils because that's outside my scope of practice but um, it helps self-realization and you've got to meet the people you are and stories are a great way you know. My my mum used to say to me, because I was a very sickly child, so bullied a lot, you know, when you're a sickly child and you miss a lot of school or you can't do things because of it. So my mum used to say to me, um, let them rant and rave at you. You know, uh, either look at them blankly or turn, you know, be doing something and then turn around and go, oh, I'm terribly sorry, I wasn't listening. What did you say? Right, because they are doing the frilly. Right. Yeah. And you're and they're not getting a rise out of you. Now, you might be shivering or shaking inside, but the fact that I, you know, diffuse it and I used to do this. I used to not, you know, every part of you wanted to respond back, but it was learning to just be blank face. Sorry, were you talking to me? And, you know, they're all even more puffed and things because they haven't had that reaction. Right. But, yeah. I, you know, they, they either are going to come at you even more uh, or they, they're going to do the old frilly and go, shucks, it didn't work. And off they go. And I did watch a couple of your different um, podcasts. There's so many. So it's going to be a while for me to catch up. You've got some great speakers. <laughs> but people who talk about disruptive thinking. Yes. Um, that, that's the tactic we're using. And um going back to that by demonizing um children or by demonizing the person i am not justifying the behavior whatsoever right what i'm trying to do is work on people recognizing it but why i have the theory mm -hmm. based with children but also now with these 20 years 23 years it is now mm -hmm. actually okay, of working in the field in large corporations and in small uh is that if you demonise the person, at regardless of what age, they don't really have an ability to mm. laugh at themselves. No. They will stand their ground or they'll feel more attacked, so they're going to go in more aggressively. Right. Whereas if you can work on, and I do not believe, I worked for World Vision for about, oh, been supporting them for 40 years, but... 
um, being a volunteer, whatever, but also worked in the desert uh, with a project with them with the First Nations Aboriginal community. And in that 40 years, I learned World Vision's principle is you don't, you may not resolve the problem in this generation. Right. But if you spend the time and money mm. on the children. Absolutely. Their children. Yes. Will actually be the saviour of the country. 100%. So whether it's mm-hmm. World Vision or anything else, I think yeah. that if, if we use something like this, and, and in leadership's the same, and the way we run corporations, it's still working on a, often on a hierarchical model. Um, you only, and uh, it's not necessarily empowering people to look at change. So then the, the work or enabling them to look at change. So you've got team dynamics breaking down organizations not functioning fully and you've got parents people going home who are taking those problems home yes there are some children Mm -hmm. that i'm sure during christmas there'd be someone in the audience that was took the kids to the beach or took Mm -hmm. the kids out to a picnic and they were still on their laptop thinking of work on the phone Mm -hmm. and yes yes i'm watching you but Mm -hmm. the child fully engaged Doesn't, yeah so exactly yes and, and even more so today right because um i talk about this often is that you know one of the boundaries you need to have when you are a solopreneur or working for your you know your own company is yeah. when you start and when you finish right now yeah. i know there's the deadlines i know that sometimes there's important things that you need to check on but you've got to have that time frame where you're not just because the phone goes or just because there's a text doesn't mean you need to respond immediately have those boundaries otherwise people will be at you 24 7 and you need to set those priorities and it's uh it's very important you give yourself time uh, for your own self-recovery for your own sanity for your own essence and your family time and your business time, and when you compartment friends time, and when you compartmental all of that, um, you actually are much more productive in every area, all right? Because yeah. you've allotted the time, so you've got to have those boundaries. And you know the same with uh, I, 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 worked, I lived and worked in South Africa for some years, and and of course it was very misogynistic in the seventies in South Africa, which I'm sure you could relate to. Uh, you just kind of something about this, you know the the liberty of man. Um, and, uh, you know, the sexism and everything else. And of course, now, you know, we've got people that have come together and saying, you know, all lives matter and women's lives matter. And, and it's now more on force where people are coming together and saying, we won't accept that behavior. And people like the Weinsteins and the Einsteins and the everything Einsteins, you know, have, have faced the, the consequences, except for yeah. one particular politician in, in America that has not yet. Um, hopefully the day will come. Uh, but we've got to understand these are narcissistic behaviors. They're narcissistic people that it never, ever will be responsible for their actions. And, and it, it's always everybody else's fault. It's always everybody out to get them. And we've got to understand there is an injured child in there that was never yeah. taught to share, to care, to trust being a part of something. You know, it was never kind of incorporated in something. And that was still in that baby thing. I'm hungry. I'm wet. I'm tired. I need attention. And they never outgrow that. And they don't care who they use or spit out along the way. And they have no comprehension 
that that is what they're doing. They will deny it till the cows come home. When you point it out, they cannot comprehend it whatsoever. But it goes back their to their childhood, though, doesn't it? It's not in their realm of possibility. No, so they they can't see it, and and that's uh, how my Tim. The story of Tim is really sort of parts of other parts of my life. But my career has has ended up always being um, associated with not trying to understand the narcissist, mm -hmm. actually trying to work with the individuals that are, are being uh, reacting or being bullied or manipulated. Yes. And in the majority of cases, so well groomed, which is not a word that you would normally use mm -hmm. in this circumstance. Mm -hmm. Groomed has been a change from the fashion yeah, to exactly. the word someone's well-dressed. Yes now being primed for someone that has something of a more devious nature um, and more towards sexual abuse. But um, people can be groomed from a young age mm -hmm. in how they should behave or react and they're not necessarily given the practical tools of yeah. how to work out. And by the time you get to work and by the time you're raising your own family, there can still be... Uh, those triggers within you that someone else can set off that you have no way if you recognize it yeah you have no way of practically arming yourself or working as a team um, if you're in an organization that has that situation and it's not the whole organization it might mm -hmm. be a section of organization and in an inadequately trained leader or someone as a child has not learned those strategies and a and they're always really clever people. It's just that uh, they're being pushed into areas that they shouldn't necessarily go because of the fear. And that's yes. both the leader mm. and also, which is everyone leading yourself, but also the people that are being changed or modifying their behaviour from a young age because somebody else. Yes treated them that way. And, and, so and the, kind of in a way, they kind of get drawn to that narcissistic boss. Because yeah, it's well, something that they've grown up with, you know, that familiarity of, uh, you know, why do hurt people hurt people? You would think because they know the pain that they would never inflict it. And in their head, it, well, I would never do that. But their actions or, or, you know, reactions actually do that. But because they haven't recognized that pattern or recognized where that core comes from and they haven't dealt with it, they're going to keep repeating it. So, you know, we've always got to look at what, what is the core of the cause of this, you know. And it's a degree of bravery because you've got to face the frilly that looks like a dinosaur. Yes. And so to be quite honest, in a work situation, in a home life situation, um, and I'm not talking philosophical, I'm talking from life experience. Mm -hmm. And then in turn working for the last 40 years, actual fact, thanks for the interview, I'm actually a 40-year overnight success to get oh, it to a video. Bravo! <laughs> Don't I you love it? it. Somebody's an overnight success. How many years did it take you to get there, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. For overnight success. So, <laughs> You'll live to 200 uh, years and then it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, those stories and analogies that that I grew up with mm -hmm. to teach you ended up making a difference in a little boy's life and freeing him up 
And then in turn, that encouraged me to yes. use the story in work. And I'm, I've worked with some really super intelligent, very gifted, very talented entrepreneurs, huge missions, massive businesses, great teams, and for big organisations that have teams across Australia. And it is amazing. There are people there that have been groomed or have been mistreated or are in currently being mistreated and they don't recognise yes. a way to get out or recognise the impact it's had on them. It's until, it, until they're kind of in a corner and then it's, how did I get here? Yeah. And then they feel powerless to stand up and do anything about it, right? You know, the thrill is being knocked out of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they've they've been they're they're acting as frillies themselves, yeah, and that's because they've been exposed. Right? Yeah. So, if a frilly is a nice, safe word Mm -hmm. that someone can say, "Yep, uh, you know, my frilly's been up," or "Yeah, I've been acting. Yep, I got it. I'm on top of the frilly." So it's just a, a little joke, but it's a great word that works. Yeah. And safe word. Continues. A safe word, isn't it? It lightens it up. You're frillying. Yeah, yeah. You're frillying and, and kind of calls people into, you know, am I? <laughs> yeah, are you doing a frilly? Yeah. And even when you get a team, when you get a team that wasn't communicating and, you know, you end up working with them and you get down to the stage where everyone's relaxed, everyone's understands and appreciates each other and then when someone and they all know the story because I've been working in the organization so then they're sort of doing it and they'll just say is that a frilly are you doing a frilly and they'll laugh now you can't do that with a bully you can't do that with someone and I think that's for me is to go back to that story I've used this for 20 odd years yeah Um, in the next in the next couple of weeks I um I've is the book's going to be finished and I've gone back to a little book. I've used the frilly story in a in a, a book um, for the last 20, year, 20 odd years, but I'm excited about the prospect of I I have this theory because there'll be people out there that are well educated and know all about it. So I'm just going to say this is a theory that if we had something that people could read the frilly story to a child. Yes. With some instructions just in case that might also help mm. them. Mm-hmm. The child might see when they go to school their frilly behaviour around them or they might actually recognise their own. And if that made a difference, wouldn't that be worth it? And it worked it's, for one child. Why can't it work for others? Exactly. It worked for thousands of yeah. adults. That yes. Work. Yeah. Well, it becomes it's, something non-reactionary. So yeah. instead of reacting to the bully, you realise... The frillying, you know, it's it's a defense mechanism. And so, you know, I mean, um, other people have always suggested and and I kind of always said white light them, send them white light of love. But, you know, it it can be when they're when they're freeing like that, either complete and lateral still, uh, or, or you just look right into their eyes. Are you hurting today? Would you like to talk about it? And you'll engage whether you can or cannot. Right, yes, you have to gauge where, where that person's feeling, how they are behind it, or, um, yeah. because sometimes it's like you recognize I'm in pain, you know, and they and they don't know how to talk about it. So I think it's it's it can sometimes be, you know, I recognize 
that you know yeah. you're upset by this what what can happen but you've got to be confident in yourself you've got to be confident in your own stance when you do that because if you do show or smell like fear then will, they will piranha you so you've got to be confident in who you back. are <laughs> step back I don't think it's going to cure a narcissist, but what it does do is it maybe in a generation or so's time when, when we actually have tried these different methods of how to assist to empower children um, and not demonising the bully, perhaps look at trying to educate the bully, but an, an ability to allow them to come out of it. Um, yeah. I don't, you know, I get people who will ring me and say, oh, um, look, my staff are a, a headache. Immediately, I think, okay, well, I know who the headache maker is. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. And, and the thing so, is, is that, of course, not all bullies are going to be narcissists. They could be people oh, that are injured. and But you yeah. know what the narcissist is because the narcissist is immediately going to play the blame and shame. No accountability no. whatsoever. There is nothing you can do to change that narcissist. The only thing you can do is change your behavior around the narcissist. You can chat, and you can actually protect yourself yeah. in relation to understanding your own reactions, your own fear responses, yes. and theirs. And also, um, there are people that there's a lot of um, narcissists with a lot of following. You referred to yes. them before. Yes. Uh, one in particular. Um, yes. And Which there's also wine bottles, but you know, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's everywhere. Um, anyway, oh, I'm sorry, it's just distracted because yes, sorry, time, I bought my granddaughter. Well, my granddaughter got a, a really um, large coloring pencil set, really high quality. That's all the colors of skin because mm. she likes artwork. Right. And she looked through it. You might have to cut this out. Nope. She looked through it and she said, I can't see orange. There's, there's a man in America that's got orange skin and I can't see orange. Yeah. Sorry, he's, I digress. No, no, I no, no, no. He, he's even been referred to as the orange Jesus now. So it's, yeah. So, yeah. Kudos. Kudos to um, him and his following in whatever they wish to achieve. So um, don't let us distract anyone that's listening. The core thing here is, is if you are working in a situation, and this is where it's worked really well, if you've worked in a situation where you are not, you're not present or you're looking for a holiday, there's all those different things yes. that are associated with work. And as leaders, you look out for it. Who's used all their leave, including the parental leave and they've had four people die? Um, and it might be a different in America. We have quite a lot of leave options here. Um, who actually is doing the coffee run, like I said? Who mm. is wanting to always be um, away from work? Who is mm. um, the avoidance. showing the signs, yes, mm. of not being able to cope? Mm -hmm. They may not recognise it because they might be so far down. And that yeah. was something I recognise in a lot of organisations. So you actually have to create a safe place as a leader. Think yes. of feeding bird, wild birds. Mm -hmm. Open door policies do not work unless you treat it like feeding wild birds. Mm -hmm. You have to sit there and create an environment that someone that's timid mm -hmm. is fearful will come and sit with you. Sometimes I'll fleet in and out and not actually take any food. Yes. But eventually if you sit there long enough 
and you don't close your hand, you don't give them advice, you'll find as a leader people who are, will come to you the same as you don't need to give them advice, let them feed, be comfortable, feel safe. Mm-hmm. And then in turn, they will feel safe to tell you the story. Right. And that's what the frilly does is I can go into an organisation and just talk to people and create a safe place. And there are people in there, eventually they will feel that there's a place to come that's safe. They're not going to be told off. They're not going to be threatened. There's someone here that's actually going to give them something. This is for anyone that's a leader to themselves or to anyone else in your audience. And then once you get the core Mm. issue, then you don't need to solve it. The fact that they've verbalised it means the next step is they'll come and seek advice. Yes. Open door policy doesn't work like a trap. Right. Exactly. But it's that, I mean, what what is the biggest problem with most people is actually feeling safe enough to say something without judgment or persecution yes yes and at a time where we yes and at a time where we want to produce you know because i'm hardwired for work Mm. but um if you want to have a team that's firing all cylinders that's working happily not fighting and really productive it's a team that functions together and trusts each other. Exactly. And that's having a safe place for them to say, I don't want this promotion. I don't feel it's up to me. Can I be treated equally mm. and as respectfully without the promotion? Look, I'm not coping well in this job or I've, I'm feeling really when you speak to me, are you speaking? And I have lots of different tactics with saying, yeah. but when you speak, um, I, I want to tell you something, but I'm fearful. Yes. Now, that takes a long time for someone to get to that. But if you want a productive team, then it's about each individual. If you want a happy home life, it's about each individual being safe, being allowed to say what what they're really feeling and then having a conversation and no one doing it really. Exactly. Um, I've got an analogy that I use all the time in my shows. And it's, you know, in our self-discovery is discovering what our instrument is and learning how to play it. Because each one of us has a particular purpose of calling. That's our instrument. We learn how to play it. Yes, we can play it solo and, and play it very well. But when we join an orchestra, it's everybody's strength in that orchestra harmonizing together in order to make that symphony really resonate out. And that's the thing about teamwork. It's recognizing that the janitor is setting the stage for everyone to come and see the CEO. Everybody has a role to play. Everybody's role is as important. And to make everybody feel they are seen and heard and appreciated and that they take pride in coming to their work. When they take pride in coming to their work because they feel appreciated seen and heard they are not only going to be loyal but they're going to take pride in everything that they do and because they they feel i'm a part of it when you treat people as less than or berate them or belittle them they get smaller they don't get bigger and so now you have cracks and dysfunction and angst and people leaving and new people coming and going, forget about this, I'm leaving too. And the, you know that whole orchestra sounds like a, a whole load of strings that you don't want to hear. <laughs> yeah. That's a great analogy. I use the, for younger 
people, I use the rainbow. You know, mm. a rainbow doesn't look look as good if the yellow's missing. Or um, when I'm talking to people and they say, well, what does a team dynamicist do? And I said, okay, well, you think your motor's running fine. A specialist walks past, hears it, lifts the bonnet, tweaks it, and all of a sudden you've got a whole lot more power that you didn't yeah. know existed. Exactly. Exactly. And that's all about looking after all the components. Yes. And yes. each of those components are needed. And having something practical, a tool, even if it's just to remind yourself. And some of the places I've been to, getting back to, I'm just using a frilly analogy. I mean, right. gosh, there's a million things. Um, we're frilling today. <laughs> yes, we're, we're just, I'm just thrilled to be speaking to you. <laughs> <laughs> So a thousand jokes left unsaid. We're just going to have to bypass all of those. Um, <laughs> is um, that that storytelling, those analogies are really good triggers to remember. And yes. um, also they're simple. It's not the, the hard science that people can say. When people are not well, whether they're um, really not well and not seeing it or they recognise something's not quite right, I don't love this work as much as I used to, mm-hmm. or I'm just hanging out for the holidays mm-hmm. um, and at the holidays you're doing work, or I'm sneaking work home because I don't want people to know I'm not coping. Yeah. Um, those things need some practical solutions and sometimes it's the feeding of the birds, just a frilly analogy to think, okay, can I recognise it in myself to start with? And then um, going and seeking um, some help if need be, or just filling out a simple questionnaire just to check. Yes. You know, am I, or just, you know, who's the best barometers? The family mm-hmm. and the relatives, because they remember when you used to be fully present, you'd come right. home and you're dying to come home. Yes. Um, or they will have noticed, or your children, if, mm-hmm. if they feel safe to tell you, because if you've got a bit of a dinosaur, if you've become a bit of a dinosaur from all this early reaction, you may not be a safe place for them to tell you anymore. But um, just the frilly was an easy way to solve it. Well, it appears to be anyway. And it appears I mean, but be. it's always the simple things. It's like, you know, if you if you go to a psychiatrist, you know, they go into a whole big thing or tell me about your mother. And everything is about rehashing. It's like, you know, you you, you go to the mechanic. What's wrong with the car? I don't know. I've got a ding. Where is it coming from? I don't know. But every time I drive, I've just got a ding, ding, ding. They're going to do the discovery of what that, where that ding is. If you knew where the ding is, you could say to them, fix that particular ding, right? So, you know, it is about that discovery of what's going on and that, you know, preparing to kind of go down that path. Anybody that's kind of come from anything that's adverse or difficult that, you know, that they've had to survive, we want to get them back into thrival. And that means that they've got to go through the process of healing and that, you know, discover your courage, discover your strength, discover that you have these abilities that you never knew you had. Discover that you're so much more than what happened to you. Don't be defined by what happened to you. Be defined of what you've become because of it. And, you know, if if we can encourage that, then people start taking participation in their own awareness, how they feel, what's causing it and kind of taking more ownership over it. Yeah, I, I also am conscious that we're having um, a conversation because 
we've become self-aware and we've come out of and worked with people that have been severely depressed or have moved on. But for those in the audience that have a family member, that have um, find it themselves, look, talking about all this is really fine, but it's just too too much. I, I'm going to get punished or I'm better off staying in the job I'm in. I'm better off staying where I am because the, the thoughts then start racing and you start to get onto, you know, you start churning. Yes, and, yes. And on the hamster wheel, I think is a, a saying yep, you'd use absolutely. over there. We don't, we don't have hamsters. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> so, Thought they were so, everywhere. Um, we, we have everything poisonous here, but we oh, don't really? have hamsters. <laughs> okay. Because they've already been eaten if they ever were in <laughs> Probably, yes. Poor little things, yeah. <laughs> so um, just... Uh, if someone is in a really bad place and it's someone you know, it's not big steps. It's not the fancy no. words. It's not all the science or the You're brain right. analogy. It's just being there for creating a place where they can at least talk mm -hmm. um, or at least be brave enough to start a subject. It's never the beginning. No. But start yourself if you're really down. You don't have to listen to the end result. No. Just listen no. to the beginning story. How is... How is your brain reacting at the moment and it, how it might be affecting you? And maybe it is a case of that, that little tiny walnut-sized part of you that is bigger than the frilly's brain mm -hmm. is really being activated through your life experiences and mm -hmm. so fear is taking over. And, if, and something simple like a frilly analogy, go watch the video, mm -hmm. um, and I don't even make any money out of it. It's just so funny to watch. Um, <laughs> we all got to need a good laugh. <laughs> it's just so funny. Um, that that might be something that just releases some of the pressure. Right. And you're on a journey. Yeah. The, the, you know, the other thing is, is very often we get so caught up in something that we don't realise we've become miserable. We've become fearful. You know, we become oh, so yeah. small. You know, I, I have to admit in my own marriage, I became that. I became almost invisible. I was robotically going through all of the things that I should be going through. And so people would think that, you know, everything was absolutely fine. But inside of me, I had retreated completely into a dark cave. And it was only kind of finally awareing, I've got to come out. I've got to come out. I can't stay in there. I've got to face this, right? And at first it's like, oh, I've got to face this. And then as you come out and you just, you're aware and you start to care about yourself. And it's one step, two step, one step, two step. And the next thing you know, you know, you've walked quite a number of steps. And anytime anybody gets to a crossroads or, or gets to something that triggers them, stop, take a breath, look behind you, look how far you've already come. Yeah. Look how far you've and already it's, come. It's tough because it, it's such a waste. There are so many really talented, mm -hmm. gifted people, but their life circumstances are people that have people the people that they've been exposed to or the circumstances um that they have been crushed yes. and a crush you know i used to do some voluntary ambulance work and a crush injury is often more serious than mm -hmm. a broken bone or something mm -hmm. you can see because that internal damage yes. that damaged brain the crush yeah. and hurt in the brain people think it's fine they treat it as you know, well, it can't be that bad. They're still doing this. They're still doing that. I know. But they've got yeah. a crush injury. Their brain has been actually injured, and it's not their fault. No. So 
So it's often something you can be flippant about, but it doesn't take much to heal it, but it does start from the inside and it, it's a degree of bravery. And it's a bravery that people don't get awards for. No, and that people no. don't talk about. But there is a unless they're here on of, my network. Yeah, oh, that's right. <laughs> but that is overwhelming, and it's and and it can be something that you can bluff. No one can know it's in there. That's why mm. there's so many suicides. No one sees what's happening in yeah. there. And so it is um, such a um, a sad state of affairs that we have so many people that can be injured at work. Yes. By an inference, by a lift of an eyebrow, mm. by a sarcastic joke that's building on something that's happened earlier in their life. An intimidation. And it, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it and it can be a case where that impacts and you could have nearly the whole team could have one of those. Yeah. Or two of those or three of those, just understanding that. Um, it's it's not just a person who doesn't have a home mm. or a person who mm. might be on the street or doesn't have a job or is in a mental health institution. It's actually all spectrums of education, all spectrums Absolutely. of success, all spectrums of income. And so I would like to hope that if we just work on creating safe places mm -hmm. using simple analogies for us to relate to that that gives us a step up and then you see the net the view is different every time you step up every time you I have an analogy sorry you no go ahead no no no, no 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 you have an analogy I want to hear it <laughs> <laughs> you know how people say have you read this book oh you should listen to this tape or oh, you should do this I'd like to propose a slightly different way of looking at it because everyone's always got something else you've got to do yeah. if you've got a book or something that you um, relate to or someone that you've heard about that you think addresses that particular thing not what they're telling you because mm -hmm. that's possibly their problem that they're solving or helping with but something that you work with or something that you've heard about or recommend or even something that you've talked about Sarah and there are books that you would recommend then when you first open that book, imagine you're sitting in the basement of a high rise, the tallest building in the city, and you're in the basement and the lights are out and the door is open to the first floor and you're sitting at the bottom of the stairwell and you open the book. You are reading the book by, by dark virtually. So the first time you read it, you're only going to see a little bit of what you're reading. Right. At the end of that book, you write down two things that are sort of like aha moments. And if you're not well, choose a really low number book, so mm -hmm. 60 or 80 or 100 pages. And if you're not functioning all cylinders, maybe people don't relate to not being well, you're not functioning at your best. Then what you do is you write down two things that are aha moments, two things that stuck out that now at the end of the book, oh, that stuck me, write them down. That changes the memory pattern so it helps yeah. embedded. And then write down two uh, two actions you're going to do. doesn't matter whether it's going to be tomorrow, next year, or five years. Mm -hmm. Just write down two actions. When you do the two actions, you are stepping up. Yeah. You are actually going to go to the first floor. Mm -hmm. Your mind has changed. Your thinking has changed, albeit one flight of stairs. Reread the book. You're mm -hmm. now in different light. You're on the ground floor. Yeah. The view is boring just people mm -hmm. walking past, but it's well lit. So you read the book once again, write down to aha moments. They'll be different. 
because yes. you've changed, you've done some exercise, yes. your thinking has been stimulated. And then right down to action. Sometimes those actions will give you two or three fours to go up the lift. Other times you need the exercise, you're going to be doing the steps. But eventually you are going to get to the top. And when you get to the top, when you read the book, the book doesn't have aha moments. The book doesn't have actions. You've actually digested and worked Mm. on those ideas and developed your stamina, your exercise and your thinking. Voila, you're at the top of the highest building and the scenery is 360 and you can see the mountains and the sunlight, the sunrise. It's a different world. So. Yeah, it's the same with any new idea, I think. Mm. takes you a while to digest it. So you don't have to read 55,000 books like everyone says. And this library, believe it or not, is not real. (laughs) (laughs) These books behind me are (laughs) people I've interviewed. (laughs) Um... In this office, there are three banks of books. And I... (laughs) But it's so cluttered when Sarah and I... When Sarah and I... I said is this too cluttered in the background she said yes I said what about this backdrop and it's the library which is funny but behind me it's so cluttered because of this books but I have been reading for close to 70 years from, yes. well maybe not quite because my children my parents had to read to me so sorry I digress <laughs> No, I think it's also, you know, sometimes with a book, you may not have to go right back and read it from beginning to end. It's like what I do with some of the books is, what do I need to know today? And I open up and there is a page, a chapter or something there that is exactly what I needed to know today. And then kind of write that. And, you know, I look at fear in in a couple of different ways. There's the common sense fear, right? Don't step in front of a bus. Don't put your hand in the fire. You know, just don't go and do the things that are going to harm you. You know what they are. That's common sense. But instead of being fearful about the unknown, instead change the way you look at it and feel more wonderment or adventurism or a sense of discovery. And you don't have to go and jump off the cliff, right? (laughs) What you can do is just take a walk to the bottom of that cliff. And as you said, work your way up, stop and pay attention, sit down and contemplate. But it's that whole seeking the adventure of the discovery, because you're always going to discover things about yourself if you're willing to step forward bit by bit. And the fear doesn't grab hold of you. The fear grabs hold of us when it's unknown and unsure. Well, if we step into adventurism, a wonderment, exploration, I want to know, then we we don't look at it as fearful. We're in a discovery mode. Yeah. I use an analogy of um, driving. Mm -hmm. So, um, and setting a GPS, your goal and your future needs to be clear. Often we can sit in the car and, um, you know, when you're driving, you only just flick at the rear vision mirror. You look at your past where you've been, only glance at it. If you're driving and you're and that's your life, you can choose, you've set what I want to do. It's a bit fuzzy. It's not really down to finite. It's not this street name, the, the house number, the, the suburb and where you're going. It's just, oh, it's sort of going to be a house and it's going to be this or it's a holiday or whatever. But when you've got your rear vision is so clear that you can see every detail and you sit in the car and you're driving, not driving towards your GPS, it's sort of there but it's fuzzy, but your rear vision mirror is where you're concentrating. In your present stage, there's only three things that can happen because you're driving. And if you continue at the speed you're at and you're spending your 
time looking in the revision mirror, which your brain likes to default to because it's nice and clear yes. and it's full of pain, so it loves to remember that. So then what happens is you either crash because you're going at breakneck speed, mm. so you never get to your destination. If you're looking in the rear vision mirror, you can slow down because you're going to be safer, so it's going to take you a whole lot longer, or you stop so you can get a better view and focus on it. Right. So the key is to actually look at setting your rear vision mirror so clearly, sorry, setting your GPS, your forward motion, where you're going, stronger yeah. than your amount of time you spent in the past, which is a whole process. But uh, people talk about um, the best bit about setting a GPS and it being really clear is it's not like the past where you can remember how people told you off when you failed and whatever mm -hmm. else. When you set the GPS, the ones in Australia even have an accent. Yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Australian, but we go to barbecues <laughs> at our next corner or we go off to, to friends or look out for the snake or we're going down from, to the beach. Um, so our GPS... And your GPS is the same. I'm pretty certain if you stop on your trail or if you take a wrong turn, the GPS never yells at you. No. It never tells you you're stupid. It never actually reminds you of all the other corners that you went wrong in. It just says at the next turn <laughs> in a nice, polite voice Correct. and gets you back on your journey. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I've got another analogy that I used to be the hair. You know, I'm a visioner. So when I see things in vision, I see them like a movie, right down to what people are wearing, the smell, the taste, the look, the everything. And for yeah. me, is I would see it and I was trying to get other people to see it. Let's build it. I want to start inviting people in. And I always would, my vision would be too far ahead in order to manifest it through life and through circumstances and everything else i've slowed right down and i've become the tortoise but what i've learned about being the tortoise it's not about the speed in where do i get places it's about the people i meet along the way and the gathering of those people and the experiences that i gather along the way the people i get to meet the people i can take along with me and i'm slowed down enough to enjoy the present Sometimes yeah. when we're coming from pain, we want to put our foot to the pedal to get as far ahead as we can from it. But sometimes just go from one gear to the other and pay attention to your surroundings. Because I've, I have a, when I was coaching, I have a, a program called The View of Life. And it's amazing. It's a, a metaphoric type journey that people take. And it tells me afterwards if they're paying attention to life, you know, what things mean. And one of the biggest is one was people looking for something. And they were right there, but they yeah. whiz right past it. So, you know, I think sometimes it's like there is no date on your destination. I want to get there, right? It is in your self-discovery, in your recovery, in your journey of life. Stop yeah. to enjoy the journey because yeah. the journey is really where the experience and where the joy is. And, and I 100% agree. And that's about um, taking the moment. And you yeah. never know when you've got your last moment. So if life, if if you're in a, not in a good place um, and you're not working at your best or you're not, the family's not communicating well or you're not feeling, um, you're not feeling in the right place, like you're in the right area, 
taking simple steps, being self-aware. I must add, because the reason I'm stammering is because I'm thinking, will I say? I have had the privilege of, of having a child but then losing a child, and he was oh, only eight. I'm sorry but the that. thing is, is the re there is no regret mm. because what happened was he came later in life after the other children, mm. and I took the time to be present. Yeah. And so when he died, there was the grief to handle, yes, but there wasn't the ongoing punishing myself right. like a a priest yeah. with the yes. you know eight yeah. and nine tails or whatever the old movies show you, mm -hmm. someone punishing themselves, which you can never recuperate from. You've got now. We don't know about tomorrow. Oh, the and gift so of the of the present, right? Yes, so mm -hmm. we're sort of in the right direction of having yeah. a, a life that's enjoyable. Um, but you don't want to be living in the rear vision mirror. You don't want to have the regret. No. So right now's worth taking the time to look at where you're at, what's not making you happy, and just, just do one simple thing towards taking a step forward, but being present now, enjoying yes. where you are now. I know that sounds really hard. If there's someone who is listening who is in a really dark place, what did Dora say in that movie, Nemo, Finding Nemo? Just keep swimming, just keep mm -hmm. swimming. <laughs> but you're in the moment. You just, um, and that is the most important thing, is not having regret, not living in the past. Just hang in there, try and set yourself. And people talk about manifestation. Mm -hmm. I think if you're not well, that might be something a bit airy-fairy for you at the moment. But I use the analogy of, well, hold on a minute, who there, and what about you, Sarah, do you like chocolate? Oh, Yes. <laughs> So think about it. Now, not, you know, someone's got a box of chocolates and say, here, you can have one. Here, you can have one. Here, you can. Some, some people will do that. These are my chocolates. But I mean in the case of where you've got a box of chocolates and someone gives it to you. Oh, Today I got. <laughs> yeah. Just think, audience, to, who's listening, what's your favourite chocolate? Is it the gooey strawberry? Is it Turkish delight? Whoa. Um, no. Is it caramel? Is it, you know, nut in the chocolate? Is it something? Is it dark chocolate, light chocolate, whatever else? What's your chocolate? If you don't like chocolate, I feel sorry for you. Um, and this analogy won't work for you. Use a mint. Um, Rhubarb. <laughs> I'm really sorry. But just think of chocolate. Now, if someone gave you a box of chocolates and said, here, choose what you like, I challenge each one of you to to actually think of what is the chocolate that you are looking for in the descriptor. Because mm -hmm. you, most people won't go and take anyone. They'll then look when they've got a menu, oh, I've actually got a favourite. Yes. What's your favourite, Sarah? Um, well, it depends. If, if you're talking about black magic, I love the orange cream or I like the cherry or I like the caramel or I like the coffee. So it's <laughs> not so much about the filling. It's, there is some fillings though. Yeah, it's dark chocolate you, for me. Dark after eight, chocolate. love after eight. Oh, okay. So, see, you actually have some chocolate that you yeah. usually go. And I hope someone else thought, oh, what's the chocolate I like? Okay. When you were looking through that menu, you were actually thinking forward. You mm -hmm. were using manifestation because you were anticipating actually, the taste. <laughs> yes. You were tasting, yeah. you were looking for yeah. the taste, you were imagining the taste. 
you imagining the feeling of the chocolate melting in your mouth and whether it's a hard center or if it's a chocolate, it's sort of like the chocolate lasts longer mm -hmm. as opposed to you bite in. Mm -hmm. And then you also, um, there'll be a smell because with Turkish delight and strawberry and ginger and whatever else, there's a smell mm -hmm. associated with it. And there's also to the, the feeling yeah. that hit that sugar gives you. So if you're not someone that understands when people use the word manifestation or visualizing or whatever else, think of a chocolate. Mm -hmm. That's actually what you are doing is you are visualizing and manifesting. So if life is a bit hard for you, think of a chocolate. If you're not into chocolates, think of when you go to a coffee shop and you order or a really nice restaurant, you look at the menu, you savour the place. Oh, I don't want mm. that. I don't want crab. No, I want this. I, don't, I like that taste, whatever. You order it, then you sit with your friend and you talk. Mm. And you talk and you talk and you know the menu's come, the order's coming. If you had to wait half an hour, you'd be asking, but you forget <laughs> about it. You've ordered it. That's what manifestation is. That's yeah. what the stepping up is. That's what thinking forward is. That's what the GPS is. Mm. That's what looking at how your behaviour is, what's making you scared or unhappy, Start thinking about the chocolate. What do I actually, what was I, what did I used to be like? What What do I really want in a job? And then look at how you are reacting now. In the rear yes. vision mirror or am I forward? Right. So sorry, I've taken far too long, but I hope that is more useful than prefabricated post holes. Right, well, yes. But, you know, on, on that, you see, there's a very important point here. People think if I think it, I manifest it. And Amazon will deliver it. But, you know, from my experience and expertise, it's, again, how you taste it, how it makes you feel. You are yes. actually putting the feeling out there, how yes. it makes you feel. So you've got to be very careful what you're manifesting, very careful what you seed, very careful what you water, because what you are wanting to feel is what's going to be given to you. So if yeah. you suddenly get a whole load of weeds in the garden or you get that Turkish delight that you don't like, is that you actually did manifest that because that's what you fed. So when you are, you know, anticipating something, mm, I would love to have that. But it's because how it makes you feel. So you're saying in your projection forward, how do you want to feel? Start yeah. with there. I want to feel good. Do I feel good right now? No. What makes you feel good? Well, this good. That would make me feel good. Okay. Ice cream will make me feel good. Okay, anticipate that ice cream. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're going to go past an ice cream shop, right? It's going to be there. So yeah. that's the thing about it is how do you want to feel? Don't Not how you're feeling right now, miserable or pain or this or that. How do you want to feel? Start painting your own canvas, your own picture and how you want to feel, how you want your life to be. One stroke at a time, right? One step at a time, yes, but mm. definitely forward rather than revision mirror. Well, going backwards never got anybody anywhere. I mean, yes, we've got the sling going backwards to propel forward, but we don't want you going forward that fast because, you know, you're, you're going forward with the old thinking. We want you to go forward with, through all the gears of the car because then you really are getting the feel of it and it really is something that is changing the mind and changing the heart and changing the way you look at things because you you are actually participating in it right and you are absorbing it and you are becoming it there is no fast track or downloadable app you've just got to be willing to take that first step and believe you can and as i said your gps or your forward or your end, yeah. end destination 
they're not, no one's going to yell at you. She's always really polite or he's always really polite on that GPS. Yeah. And you can enjoy the view as you go, knowing you'll never get lost if you've got that board. Yeah. So hopefully, a lot of analogies in there. So hopefully <laughs> we haven't made people ready to go off or they've all probably gone to la-la land. Um, it's okay. You, you, you re-listen. As I, I ask people to listen to these shows with a bunch of friends or, and then come together and discuss it. Take notes. What did you get good. out of it? And you yeah, share those good. different perspectives and it, it adds yeah. up to a whole picture. So, you know, like reading the book again at a different level, listen to the show again at a different level. You'll get something different out of it yeah. every time. Every Definitely. Time. Until you reach the top. Until you Anything. reach the top. And then you can go to a new podcast <laughs> or a new book. <laughs> <laughs> Next adventure. <laughs> right. So... Whom do you help um, in business and how do people reach out to you? Okay, so in, well, it's basically you might as well go with, it's the actual leadership that I work with. So that whether you're a leader of one as a solopreneur or whether you're someone that's at home. So it's not, it's not a target audience. It's mm -hmm. in relation, I do specialise more in work because I believe that that's the environment where we can hurt people and where we also too can hurt ourselves and also where people can be there uh, not in the right spot. So I, if I talk about a couple of things, if that's okay, if you're in a dark place, there was a book that I put together based on the 20-odd or 40-odd years in the field, which is called uh, Wellness at Work. And it has it's on Amazon and it's small and it's for those people that are at work and it helps you and it's based around the frilly story so it's a white plain cover with a red circle like a no smoking through it with a frill old-fashioned caricature black and white uh, frill neck lizard drawn on the front and it's called wellness at work i say that because there are other books under a similar, similar title it's a book that has actually been printed thousands of times but it's not long been on on um, amazon that will help you find and understand where you might be not going well at work so that helps you discover your own frilly and how to work with it and i put case studies in there so and half of the book is about yourself and the other half is about people you might be working with so recognizing some toxic frillies or recognizing the impact of that on how it might work with you and i've put real case studies in there and also recommended across whether it's us whether it's canada or whether it's australia there are references that they can go to get help once you recognise mm -hmm. what it might be or recognise the triggers. But that's a really great, easy, self-help, easy-to-access um, book. Then there's a thing called Thrive at Your 9 to 5. No, it's not about Dolly Parton. Um, so <laughs> Thrive at Your 9 to 5 <laughs> is an online program that I put together over COVID. It's 40 years of my experience of the one thing that everybody, when they want to go into an organisation or a business or I'm working with coaching an individual, um, in their direction of their career or their leadership is it's a self-help program, very easy. If you're not well, it's got questionnaires in there to help you identify at the initial start how unwell work might have made you or what stage you're at and what steps to do. And then discontent at work can be the culture of the organisation or it can be the job match mm. or it can be a combination of both and so that program I put there for self-help it's currently advertised at Australian 99 but I will tell you as at mid-March 
it will go up to 450 Australian. I only had it out because I know the beginning of the year is a trigger for lots of people mm-hmm. to do something more about this next year. Right. And then, of course, I work as a coach. I have a website. I have a Facebook page. Um, it's The website is under Passions and Profits, but think of pig and whistle. It's got an N in the middle, not yes. an N. It's the Aussie slang. And uh, finally, my the Tim story. Mm-hmm. My theory, and from what I've seen, is is that we do the generational change. So I'm very proud to say that that book that I talked about before was a workbook's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. The the wellness at work. But in the next month, I'll be releasing um, a book which we haven't been out a title. Currently, it's written under Silly Frilly, but it's actually not going to end up that way because it's don't think the name is positive enough but it's for reading to children under the age of um, seven before they go to school to help them discover the funny things that Frilly does and what children do in the same behavior right and it helps prepare them I hope based on the what we've been using in the field with children um, who have been in domestic violence situations um, is that it helps build all children before they go to school to maybe see other people's behaviour as to why they're scared and not to hate them, not yeah, to call exactly. them boys, but to recognise it. And then the hope is that once they see it in others, it will give them some ability to actually go to talk to someone about it. Or so give compassion, them teaching them compassion. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also to educate themselves. If I behave that, if I do these things, yes. I'm behaving like a frilly. I'm a child. I'm not a frilly. Right. But the frilly is very cute. And so the story was is hopefully it will empower children as it has with people at work. And it goes back to what it did for Tim. It meant that he was not scared of the dinosaur. He mm-hmm. stopped the bedwetting. He was able to respond. He didn't hate his father. And it empowered him to look at his own behaviour so that he in turn was not reacting the same way from a learnt experience yeah. that he was exposed to. And the book is being, if it's a little bit later than mid-March, it's because I put a QR code in there, which you can hold, the, the adult can hold the phone over and, and it's written um, by a psychologist, uh, sorry, a, a council worker and a psychologist Um about uh, the appropriate wording that parents can use to help children get the story, to empower them so they'll be more resilient and recognise bullying behaviour as fear and their own behaviour as fear. So it's taken a while to put together, but it brings Tim back as a legacy. Yeah, lovely. And does Tim know this, by the way? No. (laughs) Have you ever been in contact with him? Uh, No, Tim is dead. So the story is his legacy, right? which that might be something that might hit people between the eyes, but it's at the end of the show, so maybe you can trim that out if it's not (laughs) appropriate. But the story is a legacy for Tim. Um, He was killed in a car accident, not through a domestic violence situation. Um, But I know the story works and um, I know that um, it has worked in adults and it also too has proven to work in the testing fields in children's areas so it's just a simple little picture book that if it just helped one child 
Yeah. That would be great. Um, but, you know, more than a legacy, just look at how the light keeps on burning. You know, that's yeah. the the beauty. You know, it's the, um, a number of children go way too early, but it, it's the here only to be a, a short flame, but to burn bright and to yeah. leave their yeah. flame behind. Yeah. So, you know, that's uh, that's the beauty of it. As you said before, it's not the length of time, it's that quality of time and what they left you. Yeah. Right, and, and that's as I what you hold on to. I relate to it because that's that's I have lost a son too. Yes. So, um, so that means that I, when I say to you, don't don't look at tomorrow's or yesterday's as your focus. Look at your present. I support you one hundred percent, Sarah, in that because it means that you've got um, you know that you've given everything, and you've also too got a whole lot more in your heart that you have yeah. time for. It's the reason it's those relationships. So I um, am sincerely grateful for the time. I wish everybody that was listening, I hope in some way, somewhere in there that's helped you or someone you love. And I pray that you have a wonderful experience out of just taking the time to listen. That's somewhere in there that's been able to help you or someone you love. From you. And look at the books as well. I mean, we'll put the Philly book up uh, when, as soon as it's here, we'll have your other book up on here. And also mm-hmm. the, vid- the video, the Philly video, so people can understand what you're seeing from the visual. And, um, you know, it's always those simple analogies that we relate to that kind mm-hmm. of become something that, a, it diffuses something. B, it brings out the humor, but it's also a way just to explain something that sometimes feels unexplainable. Yes. Which is important. So, yeah. So thank you for the privilege to be able oh, to share the story. Thank you so much for being here today. So it's passionnprofits.com.au for Australia, folks. So passion nprofits.com.au and uh, the books plural passions and profits yeah right so um yes passion of profits (laughs) right (laughs) they're there um we are so much more than the experience that we have we are so much more than what life happens to us and we can change our tide we can choose our path uh we can move forward and i think is you know one of the things is to realize is don't always take things so personally when somebody is attacking you. They're doing it in defense of how they feel, right? So don't assume that the attack is because of you. You know, very often it's just their fear. And so that's a good lesson to walk away with here today that it's really not about you. Um, and it's, it's okay. Stand your stance, stand your ground. Stand tall and proud, even if you have to fake it before you make it. And, and you know, when you defuse that bully, you know, that they know it's not going to work on you. Unfortunately, they'll go and choose another victim. But if we all stand up to them, then, you know, they've got no one to pick on. And this, the sad thing is, with a narcissist, with a bully that is, has not recognized they're a bully and recognized that what their behavior is, they're not willing to take ownership and change they don't realize how much they're selling themselves short um, and because eventually we all wise up and we all move on but it's um if only they could see it from themselves so kind of wish them love and light that maybe one day they will but it depends how far into narcissism they are because for some of them it's just incapable of doing so but we don't have to work in an arena that makes us feel small or makes us feel scared or makes us feel less than 
nobody has to work in that arena. So thank you so much for Leanne today. This has been wonderful. I love all the analogies. I'm going to be looking at a lot of pilly. People is frillying. <laughs> it's going to stay stuck in my mind now and I come to see it. So it's really, really cute. Can't wait for the book to come out so I can actually read it to my grandsons because I think that will be really great as well. Uh, so thanks so much for sharing here today and to everyone thank else. You for the oh, yeah. And thank you, everyone. God bless. It's, we've had a lot here today for you to digest. Remember, go back and listen again. Listen with a friend. Share, share notes. Start the conversation about it. You know, what stayed with you? What will stay with you next time? You know, take those stairs on the show until it gets to a point, you know, I'm at the top there. I'm now ready for the next adventure. So until next time, folks, bye for now. We hope that you enjoyed the show. There are so many more for you here on selfdiscoverywisdom.com. Just go to the podcast tag at the top there and you will see all the many genres and all 3,000 shows ready for your listening. We are here to serve you, to help you on your journey of life. And we know that through inspiration, it begets invitation. We are supported by you, the listeners, and those that we interview. Anything that you can spare us in donation would be greatly accepted. And we do hope that you enjoy the next show.